Hi, I'm Becky. I'll be doing the second Bible reading for tonight. Um, it's Romans chapter 15, verse 14 to 33. You can follow along in your pew Bibles on page 1191 or on the screen behind. Um, Romans chapter 15, verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. I have written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of the signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. After I have enjoyed your company for a while, now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. From Macedonia and Achaia, we're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. There, they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared it in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I'll go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessings of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I may be able to come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Our friends, second last passage of Romans that we'll be looking at. We'll finish Romans next week. Again, good on you for making it this far in Romans. Uh, though it seems like the tail end, it is still very important and it still speaks to us and there are things for us to think about and hopefully be challenged by. Uh, and so let's again commit our time to the Lord. Let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, once again we pray that you might help us to be convicted and convinced by what you say, that it is true, that it is good and that our lives must be changed. So we, might, we pray that you might do that work in us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, 
in life, we all have different walks of life, and so we all have different roles and responsibilities, whether you're a student or a worker, a child or a parent. And I wonder whether you ever feel this way, and that is we've got work, we've got responsibilities, we've got different roles, and we've got projects. But I wonder whether you ever feel the weight and the burden that some of this work just seems unending. It just never ends. As a father, I find discipline just never ends. Correcting our kids, training and caring and loving. It's an unending work. As a husband, I've got unending work there too. Keeping Yvonne happy. You know what they say, happy wife means... It just, it's just expected, right? Happy wife. Well, we just need to do that. Otherwise, I don't eat. But, <laughs> but there are responsibilities that I have. It just keeps on going and going. It's unending. I've got the responsibility at home to take out the rubbish. That's my job. And it's just unending. Every Thursday, it comes out around about once a week. And I have to take the bins out. Gardening work, it's unending. It just never stops growing. Even though you cut it, it still grows. And I've got, in fact, this little project in the backyard which remains unfinished uh, for over three years now after moving into this place. I started it at the beginning of the year. There were some big trees. I cut that down, used a chainsaw. I felt very manly about that and very happy about that. But it's still un- incomplete work, unending work. But, of course, those things, they're not so... Important, not, not, not such a big deal. Every week the bin comes, well, just take it out, and it's done. The job is done. Gardening, well, when it's long, just cut it, and the job is done. Backyard landscaping, well, we might never get to it. We might just pay for someone to do it. But eventually it'll get done. Now, in your life, you'll have your own roles and responsibilities, and some of the tasks just seems unending. But there is one task, one responsibility, Not just yours, not just mine, but ours together that we're all involved in that is bigger, that is grander than whatever project we'll be involved in in life. It is, in fact, something that all Christians everywhere are involved in. And it's a work that will never be done until the end of the age. It's a work that has been passed on from generations to generations, for about 2,000 years already, and the work is still undone. I mean, compared to many of the things, the church, this church building, do you know how long it took for this church building to be built? A bit over 100 years ago, it only took them one year to build that. Sydney Harbour Bridge, how long did that take? It took eight years to build. The Taj Mahal in the 1600s took 20 years to build, but... There is a work that all of us together as Christians are involved in that remains undone, unfinished. And what is that work? Well, that work is the work that Jesus has called each and every one of us to be involved in. And that is to make disciples for Christ, to make disciples of all nations. Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years already, trying to reach the nations. But the task remains incomplete and Christians are still trying to reach the nations and the work remains unending we're all involved in this together this unending task it's a real and it's a personal task we all have and that's the sense I feel that Paul's wanting us to sense from this chapter 
from this passage, this unending mission that we're all involved in, and we should feel that weight. We should feel that urgency. We should feel that gravitas. It's bigger than all of us, and we're in it together. And so let's have a look at this letter. Paul is now towards the end of his letter. And chapter after chapter of Romans, we have seen him expound the gospel. This is what you are to believe. If you are to be saved, if you are to escape the fires of hell, this is what you are to believe. And if you do believe this, then this is how you are to live. He spent the last few chapters speaking about that. But now Paul ends here with this great word of encouragement to the church in Rome. And that is, even though I've written so much, you guys, you Christians, are on the right path. He ends now with this great word of encouragement. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. And so the Apostle Paul, writing chapter after chapter, now he says he's in fact confident that they are doing well as Christians. It is encouraging. And it's in fact the type of assessment that we would hope the Apostle would write of us. I mean, if the Apostle Paul were to look upon our church to see what we do, we would hope that the Apostle will write the same thing, that we too should be encouraged. We, we take the Word of God seriously. We take Jesus and discipleship seriously. We take our love of Jesus seriously. And we take our love for each other seriously. And so we would be encouraged as well by Paul. And I hope you are finding our fellowship here encouraging. But yet in the same breath, Paul now expresses, you are doing well as a Christian, you are, uh, you're staying on the right path, but there is more learning and growing and maturing to be done. You never stop growing. You never stop growing in your knowledge and love of God. You never stop growing in the knowledge of the love of God. And you never stop offering your body as a living sacrifice. Every day, every minute, you are always to be growing. In fact, Paul now says that's his job as the apostle of Christ. His job was so that their lives would be pleasing to God. And Paul here, he uses Old Testament language and he applies it to himself. He describes his job, his duty as priestly duties, doing the sacred work of God. Have a look now, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, I have written you quite boldly on some points. But if to remind you of them again, because of the grace of God gave the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so you see there, Paul was making clear to them that was his job for them. It was for their good, so that they might live lives, that, so that they might be pleasing to God. Now, as I reflect on that and Paul seeing his own task, now, there's no, no way at all that I'm anywhere close to Paul or am an apostle, but as a derivative, the elders in our church are to have such responsibility amongst us as a church. Our elders are to have that responsibility whereby our lives we encourage the church to live lives pleasing to God and to teach and to model and to encourage the church where our lives will not be wicked 
and detestable to God, but holy and pleasing, like an offering acceptable to God. And so Paul here, he ends with this unceasing encouragement. You are doing well. Keep on doing it. But this work of Paul, he now expresses and he wants us to feel the urgency and it's unending. His unending work. His mission is unending. He wanted not only them in Rome to be saved. Paul now expresses he actually wants everyone everywhere to be saved. And Paul is recognising that Christ Jesus is using him in that task in bringing people to salvation. And Paul reflects on that and is thinking, that is amazing. In fact, he says that is his boast. He is, in fact, proud of that in some right way. Now, he's not proud of his achievements, like in a business where his tent-making business is making big bucks and he's proud of that. No, he's, he's proud or he's boasting in how Christ has been using him in bringing salvation to the lost, in bringing sinners to faith in Christ. And he's overjoyed. It's unbelievable joy. In fact, that's also my prayer, and in fact, that's what we encourage you guys to pray. Remember the three things. The third one is to pray that God might use you to bring one soul to faith. And if God does, what great boast is that? Not boast in you, like you're so eloquent or I'm so eloquent, but boast in Christ, that Christ will use us to bring one soul to faith. Well, here that was Paul's boast. Not his efforts, but what Christ was doing through him. And he expresses how wonderful that is. Look at verses 17 now. Therefore I glory, or the word boast, in Christ Jesus, in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see the Apostle Paul here. He was dreaming big. He was not just wanting those in Rome to be saved. He's wanting everyone everywhere to be saved. He wants more and more and more. More people coming to the knowledge that Jesus is King and Saviour. And again, it got me to reflect, well, what's our attitude like? Does it reflect that of pause? Now, I wonder how many of us who have been coming to this church recently, a bit over a year or many years, how many of us feel satisfied by the state of our church, by the numbers we get each Sunday? Are we satisfied by that? Well, we should be thankful. We should be thankful that we are coming together as the family of God. But let's just say every spot in our pews is filled by people each week. Should we be satisfied by that? I think we should be thankful if that is the case. And that should be what we should be aiming for and dreaming for. But let me tell you, I would still be unsatisfied. Even if this church is filled completely, five services, let's just say, all filled, all pews, all seats, filled with people, we should still be unsatisfied because we want more and more and more. Dream big like the Apostle Paul. And that was his desire. He not only was content to go around, plant a church, see it become a mega church and be satisfied and settle in that. He wanted churches everywhere and every church flourishing. And not only that, more and more and more in the unreached places. He went far and wide. And so look at look what Paul did, verse 19. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, 
which is modern-day Albania. I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. So do you see Paul's desire here? His urgency, his zeal, this deep desire to proclaim Christ where Christ is unknown. In fact, he describes it as his ambition. What a way to use the word ambition. That was his ambition. Now, his ambition was not... Now, you might hear this enough, but we need to hear it again. His ambition was not for wealth, not for health, not for prestige, not for honour, not for comfort. His ambition, the way he used that word, was to make Christ known when Christ is unknown. And so his mission, we see he was unending. Look at verse 20 and 21 now. He said, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. I mean, it's why we as Christians in this church are convinced and convicted ourselves in our circles, our own social circles, at work, at uni, amongst friends and family. I'm sure if we are believers, we are also convinced we need to make Christ known amongst them. We all need to do that work. But it's also why in our church, missions is always on the agenda. Always on the agenda as a church to support missionaries like the Danessas who came and spoke last week. They were reaching this unreached people group, group up in the mountain region of, of Asia. Or the Campbells reaching displaced Iranians. Or Sil Ruddle in Benin. You see, we're not keen as a church to only reach Surrey Hills. That's, that's too small of a dream. We're not just thinking about Surrey Hills, but from here to the world. It is an unending mission, and that should also be our ambition. And just sort of quietly between us, it's in fact my prayer as well, that God will raise amongst us, amongst this group of young people, men and women who are so equipped, so convinced, so full of zeal for God, that we will not only stay here to build up this community, but that we would go out and reach the unreached. I mean, if in 10 years' time, let's just imagine that, if in 10 years' time there were a few from amongst us that God has raised up to send to places like the mountain people of Asia, we should be praising God for that, and we should be praying to God for that. And we see here that was Paul's ambition, to reach the furthest corners of the Roman Empire. Not just Rome. Rome was the centre but not just Rome, he wanted to get to Spain. Do you see him say that? Look at verse 23 now. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. And so we're meant to sense this task is unending. Paul's mission is unending. He's thinking big. He's dreaming big. He wants to reach the ends of the earth at that, at that time in history. But now the question is, how will the apostle reach Spain? He wants to go to Spain. He's got big dreams. Now this might surprise you, but even back then, in the first century, money didn't grow on trees. Is that a surprise? It didn't go on trees. It didn't also come from parents. The apostle Paul 
he now makes his unshameful, unshameful appeal. He wants them, writing to the Christians in Rome, he wants them to join him, to partner with him. And he needs them to partner with him in finance and in prayer. And so we see here Paul's sort of like missionary letter, support letter. He wants to visit them for their good, to encourage them, but also so that they might support him financially so that he can get and reach Spain. He needs their support just like any missionary. And so look at verse 24, the second bit. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me, that is, support me, supply on my journey there, and after I have enjoyed your company for a while. And so now Paul wants them to see that this is how the work of the kingdom grows, right from the very beginning. As Christians the world over care, support, provide for one another. And he gives now this example of those in Macedonia and Achaia who were helping those in Jerusalem, sending money back to them to help them, those who were struggling. Paul is now saying, I want your help to send me to Spain. And so look at verses 28 and 29. Paul says, So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. So Paul makes pretty clear. He wants their support. You want, you want to reach the world? Well, we need to do this together. And Paul was unshameful about it. He needs their support. But Paul was also unshameful about his appeal for their prayers. I need you, Christians in Rome, to pray for me, to uphold me in prayer. I can't do this alone. I depend on God, and that's why I depend on your prayers to God. And so he ends with this, this prayer, asking him, urging them to struggle in prayer for him. Look at verses 30 to 33. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. And so Paul was dreaming big. The work of the gospel, the work of mission, was unending. And Paul could not do it alone. He needed them. Christians needed to do it together by giving, by praying and some by going. It's the unending mission of all Christians that started 2,000 years ago, passed from generation to generation, and now passed to us. We do this together. And so Paul wanted them to know his unashamedful appeal. But now that's the text. What do you think we are to make of this? Well, the first thing for us to see here is that though it's Paul's unending mission, it was not his idea in the first place. It belongs to Christ. To make disciples of all nations, that, that was the idea of Jesus. He tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. This mission, in fact, ultimately belongs to Christ himself. And so as Paul was on mission, now the call for us is to be on mission 
Not so much the mission of Paul, but the mission of Christ himself. Christ wants us to do it. And so what do you think our part is today? Well, we know the work continues and it will be unending until Christ returns. But we firstly need to see here that there is great joy in partnership. Great joy in gospel partnership. Now, quite recently, we've had a few missionaries come and share with us. Last week, the Denessas, a few months ago, the Campbells, and the Campbells even visited a few of our growth groups. Now, when you, when you heard of their work last week and a few months ago, I want you now to just reflect on your heart at that moment when you heard of their work and what they were doing. Did it fill you with joy? that that was what they were doing, that that was what we're a part of in partnering with them? Did it fill your heart with joy that we're in fact partners together in the work, financially and in prayer? Now I know some of our growth groups even try to contribute generously to the work of the Campbells. But you see, our partnership with them as missionaries is very real and genuine. It is a genuine partnership, and we need to understand that. So as they go, and our work here in support, in prayer, it is a real partnership. You see, for us, we need to remember that that is how we support them. And so if they are there and we are here, we need to take that task seriously and see how important it is, but also be so joyful in it. Now, as I thought about this, I try to picture it a bit like this. Our missionaries are a bit like soldiers who we send across enemy lines. They're all geared up. We send them off and we drop them in. But if they're like soldiers in the jungle and they encounter some danger, some struggle, and they need help, and they call upon us, but we here are too busy with our own lives too busy to uphold them in prayer, too busy to continue our support, so caught up in our own lives. What hope is there for a lone soldier in the jungle? If our missionaries are like Rambo, then maybe they can survive and they'll be okay. They'll hunt, they'll survive, but you look at Ian and Daniel last week, they're no Rambo. No soldier should be left out alone. And so that's how I pictured it this week. They're out there, we're here, they need us. And so instead it should be a bit more like this. When we send out our missionaries, like soldiers, they've got GPS on them, we keep them monitored. We keep tracking them to see how they're going so that they are safe, so that they are doing well. We uphold them in prayer. We continue to support them. That's how I pictured it, and that makes sense. That's how we support them, and that's how we see our partnership as a genuine partnership. And so what we do here back at base, we must see that this is important. We keep them alive, and we should delight in that. It is a genuine partnership in every way. But of course, when we think about mission work, it's not just those we send across enemy lines. It's even amongst us. Even in the last year, it's actually with great joy that we see so many of us partaking in some mission of some form. As many of you went along to NT missions. There was a mission team that came here, and many of us participated in that. 
Last year, many of you went along to a mission at Phillip Island. What joy that is. And we felt we were partners with you in that. Many of you did beach missions at beaches and caravan parks around Victoria. There is joy in partnership. Though some go, we are partners and it is a real partnership. And it's why at our church, we commit our missionaries to prayer and we should do it as a church all the time. Each week we will be praying for different missionaries that we do support. And so today you heard about Calvin and Ruth, Ellen and Faye Canavan. There is joy in partnership. But now if we understand the joy in partnership, we must also sense the urgency in mission. That was what Paul was trying to get us to sense. There is real urgency here. It is serious work. There's no time to muck around. I mean, this morning we reflect on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Jesus can return anytime. It will be inescapable. It can be anytime, and it's nothing than a matter of life and death, heaven and hell. And so though world mission has been going on for about 2,000 years, today there are still 6,700 people, groups around the world, who have no access to the gospel. That's about 3.1 billion people around the world who have never heard of Jesus. I mean, when we hear of those numbers, it just feels so big. How can we reach them? But that's why we had the Isaiah 6 reading. Do you remember what God said there? Who shall I send? Who shall I send? I mean, don't we want those 3.1 billion people to hear of Jesus too? Don't we want them to be saved as well? And so God asks, who shall I send? And what is the answer? Well, Isaiah said, well, here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. And it is my prayer that many of us would answer that call. Now, of course, that doesn't mean if we do go, it doesn't make us any more godly. Some will give. Some will pray. But some will go. And we want people to go. It is unending work, and we are a part of it. Now let me share with you a story of a famous British cricketer, Charles Thomas Studd. He played in the first test match against Australia, and so he had a, a great career ahead of him as a cricketer. But he lived such a life where he believed this, here I am, send me. He came from a wealthy family, and when his father died, left him an inheritance, which he gave all away, 29,000 pounds back then, to mission work, to orphans, to the poor. He had a, a great career ahead of him. But what he did was he offered himself as one of the Cambridge Seven. It's a famous group, little group, to Hudson Taylor for missionary work at the China Inland Mission. And so this this famous cricketer, potential world name, became a missionary, firstly to China, and then to India, and then to Africa. And this was what he said. He said, If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. He said he saw and believed the urgency in mission, and so must we. And now finally, we have joy in partnership. We sense the urgency in mission. 
And we do so because there is hope in the gospel. Why do we do this anyway? 2,000 years and we're still doing it. It's an unending work and we're still doing it. Why? Because it is the only news that will bring the dead back to life. It is the only news that promises resurrection life. It's the only news whereby God makes wretched sinners sons and daughters of God. And so in the end, the Apostle Paul wanted to go to Spain. He was dreaming big, thinking big. And some did eventually go to Spain. We're not sure if Paul made it, but someone did. And the gospel went there. But for us to think about tonight, where do you think our Spain is? Are our dreams here as Christians, as a church, a bit too small? A bit too small for our big God? Are we dreaming big? Where is our Spain? I mean, this mission is bigger than us, grander than us, bigger than this church. And maybe some of us will answer that call and will say to God, here I am, send me wherever it is. And for the rest of us, no less godly, it will be to be joyful, wholehearted in our partnership. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do pray that you'll give us your heart for the loss, that our heart might be as big as the Apostle Paul's, a longing and a desire to see more and more souls one for Christ. And so we pray that somehow you will, by your Holy Spirit, convict and move our hearts, that we might be like Isaiah, say, Here I am, send me. And so we pray, Lord, that you will raise men and women from amongst us, to reach the unreached. Give us great joy in the privilege we have to support and to partner with the workers already out there in the harvest. But we pray, Lord, we plead that you'll raise up more. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.